Good morning, family. Uh, good to be here with you this morning. If you're new here, my name is Randy. I'm one of the elders here um, with someone to come when I get to, uh, the joy of teaching this morning. Um, we're going to continue with our good news series for everyone. Um, and I just want to start off by uh, talking a little bit about what's been going on the last few weeks. I've actually, my wife and I personally realized over the last few weeks that befriending and coming alongside uh, someone who struggles with a major drug addiction challenges us in a really good way. Um, what I believe actually about the gospel. Some of which of these challenges that the Spirit has been teaching and prodding me and my wife with over the last few weeks have been, do I really have good news to offer to those who struggle with major addictions? Uh, can the gospel set free those who are living all-consuming drug or alcohol-driven lives? Is my life, uh, the choices I make, how I use money, time, the way I value relationships, is that a powerful witness to those who are enslaved to some of the most powerful drugs? Is the gospel really amazing and all-consuming in my own life? Also, if the church is God's rescue mission to the world, what is that supposed to look like for the people struggling with major addictions? Is the gospel supposed to make us a, a people where even the person hooked on the strongest of substances could say, man, even in my best highs, they don't seem to compare to what I see in your life. Can the church really provide the kind of community and family and provide the kind of long-suffering friendships, burden-bearing friendships that those stuck in addiction would get that kind of help, which would help bring about health and healing in their life that they need. I start off saying this because I, th I think this, is, this helps us get our mind and hearts around why I think the topic on substance abuse today is an important topic for us as the church. And where we're going to go today, I'm first, I first want to address how God made us to ultimately find satisfaction and joy in him. How he did that from the very beginning. And second, how the fall of humanity distorts our ability to find and enjoy true satisfaction in him. And then third, how Jesus redeems that in our life and in the life of our community as a church. And then lastly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite some friends up who are part of our extended Soma family over in Fife, uh, Dope Church family. You'll, you'll be hearing from some of them as well to give some more stories to this about what God's up to over there and how that might encourage us as a family this morning. So that's where we're going to go today. So in the beginning, as we've been talking about each week, I hope you guys are seeing a pattern, but how important it is to understand God's whole story when we're addressing these topics and actually addressing and viewing all of life. And so we see in the beginning that God provided humanity with daily worship op opportunities and the good things he gave us to enjoy. As we enjoy good food and work that God provided in the garden, he intended that we would be reminded regularly of his goodness and give him thanks for it. And because they are these signposts, they would be these like reminders, whether fruit, work, looking at each other when Adam looked at Eve, he was just celebrating God. All these good things God created would be constant signposts and reminders of God's all-consuming satisfaction. His very nature is good. And we, would, we were to be continually led to think and praise him in the enjoyment of those good things because he's the ultimate source of what is good and is all-satisfying. And our deepest longings were meant to be satisfied ultimately by a relationship with this all-satisfying God. So we're, we're finite beings, but he has put in us a longing that goes beyond our finiteness and is only satisfied in a relationship with the all-satisfying God, God himself, the creator. And so being in right relationship with God, knowing him and who we are in light of him, who he is, is our deepest purpose, meaning in life, how life is understood because it is how we know who we are at our core identity as image bearers of God. And then in Genesis, Genesis 3, uh, right before the fall of humanity, for the first time, the insidious, subtle question arises in Adam and Eve's heart. Is God withholding his goodness from us? Is there another way outside of God 
that we can find satisfaction, ultimately. And this began by Adam and Eve first doubting God and the identity God already gave them as image bearer in the garden. And the fall was humanity's attempt to find satisfaction and ultimate goodness apart from God. Created things that meant, were meant to point us to God's goodness became something that led us to doubt it through lies and deception about God and the identity God gave us. And so since the fall, at our core, we are sinful, the Bible tells us. Our identity as image bearers has been distorted. We are bent on choosing to find satisfaction elsewhere. If you want to just add sin equals, and in, in, in what we're talking about today specifically, is looking for satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction elsewhere other than God. And in other words, when we view the world and all the things it has to offer, instead of thinking, God, how do you want me to use this to please you because you are the ultimate good? We are habitually prone to think, how does this thing or that thing give me ultimate comfort and satisfaction? We are habitually prone to uh, see this way because it's, it's part of our natural tendency. We, we like to think we are riding neutral at times. And we have a kind of 50-50 choice choosing right or wrong. Don't we tend to, we tend to deceive ourselves in thinking we're, we have this perfect balance. This scale that's just even, that we can choose right and wrong. But, but we don't. This is why good things keep looking like God things to us. We are hardwired to keep choosing to worship created things by finding ultimate satisfaction in them instead of God. The Exodus story gives us actually a very powerful account of this reality since the fall. Israel, they cry, cry out to God because their enslavement by Pharaoh in Egypt is just horrible. God hears their cry because he is their people and he rescues them. And God rescues them so that they would be free. And freedom was defined, God made it clear, was to worship God. They, God freed them so that they would experience what it is to worship and know God. And he miraculously saves them and they sung his praises for his mighty hand, defeating Pharaoh and his army. But not long after that, they started grumbling and complaining to Moses. For those of you who are familiar with the story, and not even in the Exodus story, this story is mentioned throughout many places in the Old Testament. And what's interesting is that it was over real needs. They're in the wilderness, and they were thirsting for water and hungering for food. And what's even more interesting is God knows they have these needs. God knows they need food. He created food, and he created humanity to need food. Yet it seems like, you know, on the surface, God, is he withholding his goodness? Is he withholding his love? Is he withholding playing mean games with his people? So what's going on, we see, though, as we look at the story, we understand all of Scripture, that God is concerned about their hearts because by their thoughts and intentions they were making good things into ultimate things that is why it was deemed as grumbling not against Moses but it was grumbling ultimately against God and God he's wanting to root his people in an identity that is found in not in created things but in the creator himself so God is taking a people for himself to make them into a royal priesthood. People that would know who their God is and their life would reflect a worship-filled kind of experience where there is one who is best, there is one who is all satisfying so that all the other nations around would know this God. God was concerned about their heart habits that was looking to find ultimate satisfaction by getting what they want whenever they want. God was out to teach them to... to to be as people by learning to ultimately just find satisfaction in worshiping God himself. And really this story is a powerful picture that there's actually a greater slavery humanity has fallen into than any other nation could hold over any other people group. There's a grumbling and a craving within us that is misplaced worship. And because we were made to fully give our lives over to something which is worship, worship is when you just place your worth, your value on something. Your affections, your love, that is who you worship. We are prone to do that with things other than God, which leads to death spiritually and sometimes death physically. Here are some stats that show this, where we're at as a, as, as, as a country. 
In the U.S., 16.6 million adults ages 18 and older had alcohol disorder in 2013. That's, that's a lot of people. An estimated 13.5 million people, this is a world stat, in the world take opiates, including 9.2 million who use heroin. 6.1 million people have used prescription drugs non-medically in the past month. 5% of the United States is the world's population. This is the setup here. 5% of the United States is the world's population and consumes 75% of the world's prescription drugs. There's another stat. I don't, I yeah, I don't think I have it up there, but I'm going to read it anyways. Uh, in 2010, enough prescription painkillers were prescribed to medicate every American adult every four hours for a month. There's enough prescription painkillers were prescribed to medicate every American adult every four hours for one month. And, and here are some stats on non-substance addictions. Food addiction, 2007 to 2008, 68% of the U.S. population age 20 and older was either overweight or obese. In Washington State in 2005, 2.1% or 107,606 of adults have a gambling disorder. Between 2000 to 2004, the number of internet porn sites went from, this is insane, 88,000 to 1.6 million. In August of 2016, a survey reported 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography. So I, I don't really have to, I mean, and there's a lot more stats. It, it was so hard to even whittle out, like, what, what I actually want to say. And addiction's pervasive. And this ultimately stems from humanity's fall, where humans look to created things, things other than God, for ultimate purpose, meaning, and satisfaction. This is where it starts. But I, I actually want to give a, a little caveat, an important note. The fall is ultimately why addictions exist. And it's important for us to get that. Because the world around us talks about this in very different ways. We need to be careful that we don't oversimplify the complexities of one's particular struggle as we engage others in these struggles. Because here's the deal, why someone engages in certain kinds of addictions in the degree they engage it is a very complicated conversation. We have different stories and upbringings that play into that. For example, we have different privileges in our society based on our race that play a factor into that. And you can go into gender, you can go into other things like that. But you, then you also have this other conversation about mental illness that further complicates that particular question and discussion. So I, I just want to put all that here because I can't, I'm not going to address all that. But I just want to say this is why it's really important. We are humble listeners and we are engaging people eye to eye, conversation to conversation as we look to navigate this epidemic that is around us, that is amongst us with grace and listening ears. But we all tend to look to created things to find ultimate satisfaction over the many years. Many years that subtly builds up a well-fortified, distorted identity from what God intended in the beginning. You see, the bigger issue is not the substance itself. It's all the subtle questions and thoughts in the day-to-day -day that lead up to the abuse of the substance. Does that make sense? So Kent uh, Dunnington, a uh, philosophy professor, he wrote this book called Addiction and Virtue. Super helpful uh, for me in my preparation for this teaching. Um, very intellectual book, so I, I, was, I was definitely struggling a little bit, but, but, but helpful nonetheless. The author looks to take the conversation concerning drug addiction beyond the models that we tend to hear. It's, it's either a disease or, or it's a moral choice. And, and he's, he, he's making it simply about, um, or the world around us tends to make it simply about a moral choice or a disease. And he says it's a kind of oversimplifying. Moral choice can put too much wrong expectation on the person struggling with the addiction to just, you know, they just need to make the right choices. Disease can seem to remove responsibility altogether from the person struggling with the addiction. And what he argues is we ought to understand addiction in the term of habit. Habits. And I really love this approach because he, he takes a, a humble learning posture in how he looks to understand how the power of addiction works in those who struggle with major addictions. And he's like learning from them. It's beautiful. Like this book's this is phenomenal. And I, and I find myself agreeing with him because I see it is consistent with what I see in the entire witness of Scripture and how it talks about sin. It's honest about it. I also see it 
um, in my own experiences recently and how it's honest about the complexities of the varying degrees of addiction. And he quotes, I just want to mention one quote that he had in his book that I, I think would be very helpful for us this morning. He quotes a book written by a woman named Caroline Knapp. She suffered from alcohol addiction for many, many years. And she states that the bigger issue is not the drink, but instead the subtle mind equations that occur repeatedly. And she tries to convey the way in which alcohol can become a mental obsession so subtle that we don't notice its onset. Here's what she says. Knapp says this. It's the equation we all live by. Every single alcoholic I know, and she goes on to say, here's the equations. Discomfort plus drink equals no discomfort. Fear plus drink equals bravery. Repression plus drink equals openness. Pain plus drink equals self-obliteration. And she calls this the mathematics of self-transformation. And she explains, at the heart of it, alcoholism feels like the accumulation of dozens of such connections, dozens of tiny fears and hungers and rages, dozens of experiences and memories that collect in the bottom of your soul, coalescing over many, many drinks into a single liquid solution. These are the constant thought and heart habits she's talking about. The little equations in your mind, it's not the many, many drinks so much as these connections that are made, equations that we solve in our mind over the course of many drinks. And what's going on here is that creates a habit that is subtly but powerfully transforming you into an identity that is further removing you from God, from finding satisfaction and comfort ultimately in him. It becomes so insidious and so powerful. And so here are two reasons why I think this is important for us. I want to explain this. I'm going to say here are the two reasons, and then I want to talk about those two reasons. The two reasons are this. Our subtle habits are either building into our God-given identity by the Spirit, or it's distorting it by the flesh. And then second, submitting our subtle habits to the Spirit leads us to build the kind of family culture that will provide the kind of support needed for those suffering with serious addictions. So we're going to talk about those two things before I invite my friends up. So first, our subtle habits are either building into our God-given identity by the Spirit or it's distorting it by the flesh. From the fall, apart from Christ, our core identity is distorted as image bearers of God. We are sinful in our nature, which is why, apart from Christ, we build into our sinful nature with sinful habits, thoughts, like we just talked about. Over the years, constantly, these equations, these thoughts in our mind are telling us where comfort, where satisfaction comes from and is informing and building into an identity that is far, far from God. But in Christ, we are given a new identity. It redeems the distortion of our identity that we were uh, made or that we were succumbed to in light of the fall. And now in Christ, we are either building into our new God-given identity by the Spirit or we're tearing down or stunting the growth as Christ followers by building habits based on flesh. And the flesh are the old sinful identity that says satisfaction is ultimately found in something else other than God. And so to be clear, this impacts not just an individual, this impacts our community when we're building into the flesh. Here are some examples. For example, you might come home one day and say, man, it's just been, so, it's, it's been a hard day. I, I just want a, a bowl of ice cream. Super subtle, right? It, it, it seems harmless, but, but, but it builds into the flesh. Hard day plus ice cream equals relaxation. Or I, I just want to lose myself in movies and escape from the day. Tiredness plus movie equals relief. That's where we get our relief. That's where we get our comfort. Or I had a huge fight with my spouse, or it's been a rough week, and I just need some retail therapy. i got to get some outfits, and, and that'll fix my problem. Frustration or sadness plus shopping equals happiness. You see, these are subtle but real shaping factors of our identity in our community. I, so you, you might be wondering, man, we're, we're getting into the weeds of things. Like, why do we need to get into this? I'm talking about ice cream, talking about movies. God wants to transform us completely. And that impacts our whole community. It actually makes the difference 
on the kind of community that God wants to see established within, within his church, within the cities, that will be those kind of people that will serve and lay down their life for those who have huge needs, like being caught in major addictions. This has huge ramifications. Those little questions build into millions of little questions that are either forming us in the image and likeness of Christ or tearing it down. Super important. Another one I thought, or, you know, man, I feel so bored and, and my life feels so meaningless or I feel like just a big, huge failure in life. I'm just going to sit down and, and look at porn. Or I lose myself in romance novels because I'm not getting it for my spouse. The scenes in romance novels or romantic movies are far from the romance and experiences I get. And in my life or in my relationship with my spouse. And it's nice to pretend once in a while. There's a few substances I actually want to talk about too in the same vein. Alcohol, marijuana, and painkillers. For alcohol, I just want to add, in light of what Caroline Knapp already said, I just want to add that, that we as a family need to be careful how we exercise our freedom to consume alcohol. One of Paul's guidelines for applying the conscience, the, the inner thoughts and feelings we have uh, principle, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 23, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So how is alcohol building into your identity as one who is finding satisfaction ultimately in God? Is a really good question to ask as you approach and use alcohol. How is our alcohol consumption contributing to the building of love and sacrifice for one another? in your community and how your community is using it and celebrating with it? How is our alcohol consumption not overriding the self-control and sober-mindedness the Spirit wants to grow us in to build us up and our communities up for Jesus' glory? And something I regularly apply to my use of alcohol is how much is God wanting me to drink at any given event or any given time? I mean, it's funny. I mean, we're, we're talking about a habit of the heart. We're talking about how God wants to change us from the inside out. And so it, 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 it alleviates this numbers game, which we like to find ourselves in. Well, how many can I have or how many is too much? That's just not how it works. God wants our heart. He doesn't want us just merely following rules. Someone drinking half a glass of wine could be stumbling into sin than someone who's had a couple beers. God wants to capture our questions. He wants to capture our hearts. Marijuana, Ephesians 5, uh, starting with 15, I feel like, and uh, 1 Peter 4 and 1 Peter 1 have passages that are super helpful for me and I think are helpful for our body as we look to um, talk about marijuana. Ephesians 5, 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think you can substitute any other substance within there besides alcohol. 1 Peter 4, 7. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Based on the following scripture passages, I believe Christians should not be getting high on marijuana. Getting high is not a way God calls you to get closer to him and to know him more. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's sin. To use any substance to try to get closer to God. It's sin. Drugs that cause hallucinogen, like hallucinations are, are really counterfeit worship experiences God intended to have with us. He created a longing in us. And, and I think you see a pervasiveness in, in, in this addiction because we all know that there's something outside of us that should be satisfying a longing within us. And we have nowhere to go. Or we don't think we have anywhere to go. And we grab these drugs that take us there, so we think. And there's a longing going on. And I think sometimes, even reading this book, it was super helpful. I think some of we should look at these stats of, of addictions and be convicted as a church. Like, do we have that longing? Do, are we able to experience that longing that the Bible says, that God says he fully satisfies in us? And that there is a place. His name is Jesus. And his spirit has been poured out. And he is enough. And he is good. 
And I, and I know when, uh, so I believe scripture is pretty clear. Getting high with marijuana is a sin. Now, my personal experience, aside from scripture, when I smoked marijuana, all I did was get high. That was my point. And it allowed me to escape. And my counsel is for the flock. My advice would be that you stay away from weed. You stay away from marijuana. Don't use it. Now, to be clear, I'm, for the purposes of the sermon, I'm strictly talking about recreational use and not medicinal use. But I, I would encourage you to stay away from the drug and not even try to mess with it. The last thing, painkillers. I believe this one has become so easy in our day to overlook its potential grip on us. And I'll just be short uh, with this one. I know from experience that if, if you have mood swings based on whether or not you're getting pills, that is a huge indicator you might be addicted and you need help. You need to get help. I had years while I was in the military. no idea that I was hooked on pills. And there's these little indications. So anytime your mind is craving and can't do without a substance, it's an indicator there is an unhealthy dependency going on. And we get to ask for help. We all, we all look to created things, things other than Jesus for comfort and satisfaction, whether it's food, sex, alcohol, entertainment, shopping, or drugs. One of the fundamental issues is trying to numb our pain, find source of comfort and satisfaction that will last. That's what we're looking for. And we are meant to give ourselves over to something completely and fully. I hope you hear that. Like Our thoughts and intentions, our whole being was made to give ourselves over to something. And it was meant to be God, and we're not. And so... I'm sensing, I'm hoping we all feel like we're in a place of like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I'm stuck. It's easy to find our hearts and our thoughts in a place of longing for something other than God, right? If you're not in that place, you might be more stuck than any of us here. And I say that with love. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn. But this is, we live in a broken world. There's a longing in us. And there's great good news and there's hope for us. We can only do this as we look to Jesus. Because when we look to Jesus, we realize we can't do it. He is the one who did it. Jesus came and his father was the one who he perfectly submitted to. They're all-consuming relationship. He was consumed by the love of his father. And he only did what the father told him to do. And what Jesus does, and here's why this is good news, guys. Is Jesus takes that all-consuming relationship and he goes to the cross. And he dies in our place so we would not be judged by our sin. Because what happens is we actually deserve death in light of our replacement of trying to find satisfaction in something else other than God. But in Christ, we actually get life because at the cross, Jesus took this all-consuming relationship with his father. And he gave it away for our sake. Because on himself, he took all our sin. And that's why he says... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes on the wrath we deserve, and he gives us the eternal life that he earned for us. That's why Jesus is good news in this topic, is that the all-consuming love that Jesus has, he dies in our place so we don't get judged in the wrath we deserve, and he now lives in us to enable us to enjoy that kind of satisfying relationship with God himself because we know that in the story Jesus rose from the dead as we've been singing about and he sent his spirit to dwell within us and the work that he did on the cross accomplished us to have a a union with God where his spirit is in us to give us new desires and to enjoy a life with God to enjoy a relationship with God where we get to experience love And we get to experience the longings of our heart really satisfied in our relationship with him. The spirit of God has been poured out to fill us, to consume us. The spirit's been poured out. God has given himself fully. I think sometimes we we, we can look at God and think about our life and think, yeah, God's big and powerful, but he's kind of hanging way out there. And we got to do a lot in order to to really allow him to give himself away. But that's just not true. God is so much close. God is here. The all-powerful creator of the universe is here. And he loves to give himself away and pour himself out into us. and, And bring life and breathe it into us. 
And, and some of us, we have callous hearts because over the years we've heard this and we're like, yeah, I heard it. And you need to hear it again because there's no other news that brings life other than the gospel. And God loves to come in and bring us to a place where we come to the end of ourselves and we say, God, I need you. And God loves to pour himself out. And if you doubt that, we get to look to the cross of Jesus. Because, to remind us again, the Father gave his Son to die for sinners like you and I. That's insane. That Jesus would put himself in a place where he has to say, Father, or God, why have you forsaken me? So that we actually could have a union with God. We don't have to doubt that God doesn't want to keep giving himself to us and pour out his spirit because he gave his son. He gave his best. God is here. Do you want him? Do you believe you need him? Do you believe you need to be rescued? If you're here and you don't believe you need to be rescued, that's the issue. Let's start right there. God comes for the sick. Are you sick this morning? I am. I need his rescuing. And he delivers on his promise. He's not like the things we've been giving ourselves over to, hoping that we would find ultimate satisfaction. He delivers. And he calls us to be honest about our brokenness and to humble ourselves before him. Why? Because we are not judged by our behavior. We are not judged by addictions we might be slipping up on. We are judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ which allows us to boast in our neediness and our brokenness and that God's power would be made perfect in that. God wants to capture these moments in our life so that we would see that he is all satisfying in every part of our life. That Christ would be glorified in that. And then the second thing, submitting our subtle habits to the Spirit's leadership will build in us a kind of family culture that will provide the kind of support needed for those suffering with serious addictions. Here's what I mean by that. God intends to make us a family who is in the habit of repenting. Repentance is a gift God has given us to enjoy him. And I think it's something we've been overlooking and missing out on. It's confessing, it's worshiping Jesus as the supreme one who is all satisfying compared to other things we look to for that. Do you ever do that? Do you... I wonder if sometimes we are missing out, we are robbing ourselves of the joy in Jesus because we stop at conviction. We feel this weight of like, yeah, I'm off there. Yeah, I'm off there. And we kind of walk away with our life moving forward. Maybe we might feel bad. But what God calls us to by sending his spirit is to actually confess It's actually to say, this is not God. Jesus, you're God and you're good. Save me. Save me. I'm broken. I'm weak. Confessing and repenting is God's gift so that we could celebrate him and rejoice as a family and say, God is here. He's alive. Why? Because we're so broken and needy. It has to be about him. God wants to move himself through a people that are confessing and repenting before him because we believe he's here and he's at work and what he did at the cross is enough. And why I think this is important is to to have a habit within us of repentance is it alleviates us from being a people who are hiding in our sin struggles. And that's my concern. I wonder, I, I have this wonder as I was praying this week, how many of us might be hiding with certain addictions or struggles? We're so afraid to talk about it. And we're missing the joy of repentance, of running to our Savior, who wants to flip the equation in our minds and saying, I'm comfort, I'm all satisfying. And in a way where we would boast in our messiness around each other, not because it's cool to be messy, but it's amazing that Christ would come and clean up messy people. And we would all just celebrate in Christ's goodness and his mercy and love. He wants to bring us from darkness into light, family. I also believe prayer that God would move in us as a, 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 a people that were habitually repenting. We'd be people that would be longing and loving to pray regularly, crying out to God. And asking God to move and seeing the power of the gospel really take root in us and in the city. Because it's going to be hard to be a loving people to those who are overtly struggling with bad issues. Struggles 
of major addictions if we are blinded by our own subtle issues. If we are people that lack repentance in the day-to-day struggles we have, what kind of people are we going to be to those who have these major, major issues that are all out there for the world to see? If we are not constantly experiencing the gift of presence where Jesus is healing and showing himself to be more satisfactory than our struggles, we won't believe that the gospel is powerful enough to be more satisfactory than the heavy addictions. Gosh, let us boast. Let us repent of every unrighteousness because God has made us new by his righteousness. Yeah, I I wonder how much boldness we would have proclaiming the gospel even in the darkest places, if we applied it to us first. And lastly, we'd be a family who is long-suffering. Lisa and I, over the last few weeks, have been learning this a ton. The only way we haven't been losing our minds is realizing we are not in um, this particular woman's life to ultimately get her clean. It's not the goal. And I can tell you how many times we've been so anxious getting this person into rehab or, or just getting her to stop do this or, or that behavior. And I noticed that the habit of our heart started saying, if you only do this, then everything would be good. If we just get you here, then things would be fixed. But the ultimate goal is not to help someone become clean, but having them know the love of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean we don't take seriously actions in helping them stay away from unhealthy behaviors. I feel like we just pendulum swing. We think that it gets rid of all, it gets rid of like wisdom, and it doesn't. But my point is the constant letdown and the relapsing or repeated rejection of help, you'll get either burned out or become a legalist if the goal is getting a person clean. God is out to rescue them only, but us also. And that's what. I came to the conclusion of the last few weeks, I need his rescuing power just as much as my friend I'm trying to help. And how I view my time and things, having to switch plans and having to change my life around for someone I have no idea if they're going to follow through with what we're asking is death to self. And family, we, I pray, would continue to welcome that in our church family. For God would give us many, many, many opportunities where we are faced with our own pride and self-righteousness that tends to be so hidden down there. I know for Lisa and I, it's been very hidden in our hearts so that he would reveal it so that we would find great dependency in Jesus and we would get the joy of repentance and the joy of crying out for our need and the joy of being formed more into a people who love, not in order to gain, but we love because we have everything in Christ. And so that's some of the learnings I have. I would like to now invite my my friends up, Chris and Robbie. If you guys can go ahead and come up now. Some of you that may not know him. He's involved in prison ministry, and uh, he also helps lead um, Dope Church. Dope Church is a group of people on mission to those living in drug addiction and exploitation in Fife. And uh, this is his friend, Robbie. We're actually going to be hearing from Robbie in a second. Um, But... Chris, why don't you go ahead and uh, let us know how you guys met. Sure. Uh, Robbie's a dear brother of mine. Uh, I love him a lot. We spent a lot of good time together, and we have some history. We met, I think, about four years ago. Is that right? Uh, Through my prison ministry with Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. And uh, honestly, uh, you hear about a right-hand man. He was my left-hand man for how long? How were you? How long were you? For 11 months, and uh, we have classes uh, in the Regional Justice Center uh, in Kent, which is a King County uh, correctional facility, and just got to uh, pour into him and disciple him and uh, teach and also uh, learn from him and pray with him, and um, since he uh, got out of prison, I've been able to walk even more uh, closely beside him uh, just in his recovery and discipleship, and I am just so overwhelmed seeing God's grace all over his life, and uh, he's here today to share with you his story of recovery. So, there you go. So, what I'd like to do, thanks for being here, guys, by the way. Really blessed by your presence. I I would love to just start asking you, I'll just ask you a few questions and share a little bit with us, bro. Uh, So, what was life like you for the last 25 years, Robbie? Uh, The last 25 years was uh, uh, full of uh, addiction and full of Robbie, full of doing what Robbie wants to do. Um, it started off with a little bit of uh, smoking cigarettes with funds with the friends, and then it turned into a little bit of drinking, 
then it turned into smoking a little marijuana every now and then, and then eventually went to methamphetamines. And I spent uh, 25 years addicted to methamphetamines, and mm. uh, you know, I said when I first started that I would never put a needle in my arm, and uh, I think about maybe 10 years into it, I had a needle in my arm. So, um, when that started happening, it was fun at first. We started out just having fun, and then it turned into a lifestyle, a habit, an addiction, and then uh, uh, just chaos, uh, corruption, crime came involved, um, just darkness, hmm. totally separated from the Lord. The devil, it, he is tricky, and he just used that to wow. manipulate me and pull me away from the glory that God had for me. Wow. Yeah, so that's... Wow, man. Um, what, so, Robbie, like, what, what kept you on that path? If it was devastating and dark and, and broken in that kind of way, what, what, what kept you um, doing that? So a lot of people think if you were raised in an environment where you have uh, abuse or a, addiction and stuff like that, that that's where you'll stay. I was raised in, there was no drugs, there was no uh, violence or any of that. I was raised in a really good environment. We, we didn't really, we weren't taught the Lord. Um, but I didn't really have a family. And then when, when I started using, I guess it's, it, you build a bond when you start doing that stuff. Um, just being lost. And, and then when I did find about, heard about the Lord and I, I kind of, you know, tried to pursue him at one time and he wasn't what I thought he was supposed to be. Mm. I follow the mm. Lord. Things are supposed to get great. <laughs> Hunky dory, rainbows and butterflies. And I'll tell you what, he, I felt like he was just a fairy tale person mm. that didn't satisfy my mm. immediate needs and that I wanted you know, to be blessed with all these things. Lord, I prayed to you, and, I, you know, I just gave up mm. maybe three weeks of my life. You know, I, mm. I should be blessed with, with a Ferrari and a great job, and it didn't happen, so it made me really mm. angry. So mm. I turned to my friends that were in, on, the, on the far side, which was tangible. That was reality for me. Mm. I could see, feel, touch it. Um, through that anger, it built a uh, really hard spot in my heart, and it build, you start building up walls, and the devil tries to, tries to get you to build up those walls, because we are made to have feelings and emotions, but when they're hurt, we just try and black mm -hmm. them out with whatever, whatever we can, the substance and, and all the criminal yeah. activity and all that stuff. So what kept me there was just uh, yeah. not knowing Jesus, okay. really knowing Jesus. Yeah. So... Yeah, go ahead, Chris. One of the most revealing statements that I've heard Robbie tell me was uh, as soon as he felt guilt or shame, it was time to get another bag. Um, and so there's, I think that's probably a powerful dynamic as well, the pain, the guilt, the shame, wasted time. And uh, one dynamic I've seen is that when people get clean, they want everything to get better yesterday um, or in an hour. But it really does take time to rebuild a life, especially if it's been decades of, um, you know, being in the chaos. So, yeah. So, uh, how did you see God pursuing you while you were in the midst of all this struggling? Um, to tell you the truth, while I was running around there, I didn't see God pursuing me mm. until I actually got sober and actually sought the Lord mm. and had the Holy Spirit really fill me and open up my eyes to be able to see his grace. And looking back, that's where I get a lot of conviction from, a lot of, mm. a, a lot of regret and um, I, I guess remorse and pain that I have with that is that I seen, now that I see God working in, mm. in my lives and all the blessings, and I was like, wow, Lord, that was you. Mm, mm. I thought it was just pure coincidence. Mm. I thought it was just me controlling my mm, outcome. Mm. Even back when you Even were in this struggle. I was in that. So I look at that stuff, and, and uh, when my children were born, man, what a beautiful blessing. But I, I just, I didn't look at it like mm, he was there. Mm. Now that I take a look back, he was back in the cut the whole time, wow. just standing there with his arm out, waiting for me to accept him and love him, wow. like he was there to love me. So, yeah. Wow, man. So, so what made a difference when you, were, when you eventually just said enough with that kind of life? I'm going. Um, like you were direction. talking about earlier, you know, we just keep trying to fill the hole and the void in, in our lives. And, 
years after year after year trying to do it Robbie's way, trying to fill it with whatever. If I do it different this time, it'll be different. It's always been the same. Um, what was the question again? Yeah, no, no, it's good, man. I, I, what you're saying is great. I just, yeah, so what was the difference that led you to leave that life once and for all? Um, prison helped. You know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, and, and it is a great thing, and it's a great place where Jesus Christ can really get a hold of you because mm. you're really there listening. You have nothing else to grab onto except for Jesus. But I've been to prison. I've been to jails. I've been to rehabs. Yeah. I've been through all that. So I can't really say that it, that was the main yeah, factor. Yeah. The main factor was that I surrendered, that Jesus got a hold of me when I was on my knees in the prison cell without nothing left mm. to grab a hold of because I destroyed my whole life. Everybody that I loved, I ran into the ground. My family, my children, I hurt everybody. And mm. uh, I just, uh, I was broken. I was finally done. And I just said, Lord, if you can finally, if you could take this pain from me, I'll give you my life. I was, I had so much pain and it just finally built up. And, it, and like I said, the best thing that happened to me while I was in prison is that I found Jesus at an eye to eye level that I can actually touch and feel and hold on to for That's real. Awesome. I'd love to hear like what it's like for you walking with Jesus after, after all that. I'll tell you what, the, the awesome thing about Jesus is that when you're fixed, he doesn't stop there. You know, he, he's still pursuing me. I thought, and it made me angry that when I do follow the Lord, things will change and I'll be blessed. But I was looking for Jesus to bless me in all the wrong ways. I was trying to still feel this void of Robbie that, that, that I had for myself. Yeah. He opened my eyes, like I said, to, to change the outlook of my life. It is tough following the Lord. I have to die to myself. I have to surrender all the things that Robbie wants and turn them to God and say, Jesus, what do you want from me in my life now? Amen. What can I give you? What can I do to glorify your kingdom? How can I use the experiences and the things that I've been through in my life to glorify you? <laughs> and to stand here and do the stuff that I do for Dope Church and the people that were around is huge because the people who see me or know me from the past, they say, that guy's changed. Look what Jesus did in his life. I thought that guy would never, ever, ever come up from where he is. And, and that right there is a huge testimony, and it works in people's mm. lives. There's, a, there's a, a part in the Bible where Jesus came and he healed and, mm. and casted out demons from a demonic guy, and the guy wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you need to stay here and proclaim the good things that, that, that God has done for you in your lives. So if he would have left, people would have never really seen what God did. They would have heard stories, but... We need to see things, you know, I mean, that's just the way society is nowadays. We need to see the glory of God, the healing of the sick and the Amen, lame, and, and just the love of, of his people. We are here to love Amen. each other, and, and that's what we're here to do. So um, I just thank him that he uses me as a tool to be able to touch people in their lives. And another thing that, that helps me is my community of family. That is super huge. I, I've, I've never had a real family. I've moved around my whole life, and I just been, that's been super lost in my life. To have a real family that's really there, not judging you for what you've been through, that I can be honest with my adult church family and tell them, look, this is what I'm going through and the struggles that I'm going through. Yeah, God has changed my life, and he's taken away addiction, but I'm still struggling with this. I need help with this. I need help. I need love with this. And they don't look at me like I'm sinning. And boy, Robbie, what are you doing? You must not. You must be doing something on the side because things aren't getting better for you. Things are always going to come your way. And I mm. learned that when you're following mm. Jesus, mm. things are going to get even harder for you. You know, mm. and a lot of people can look at the things that, that, that are happening in my life and say, well, you know, you're just being blessed a little bit. But the, we got to look at the little things that the Lord has blessed us with. Mm. His kingdom, the the establishing our families back together, Amen. just just having purpose in life, just to be able to share the glory yeah. of God, yeah. to love one another, and in, in not judgment. Uh, a thing that I've caught myself doing that i got to be really careful is now that I'm, I'm, I'm healed from the addiction, uh, that I pass judgment on other people that are still addicted, <laughs> Maria, and all these things that... that and I get conviction. The Holy Spirit gives <laughs> me conviction <laughs> of that, and <laughs> i got to watch out for that <laughs> because that was once me. And I can't say that guy will never be healed. Let's give up on him. Because God never gave up on anybody, and he never will, no That's matter right. how far. Sin is sin, right? That's right, man. So, uh, you know, uh, another trial thing is that, uh, one more thing is yeah, that um, 
I, I run a house, and I'm a, a house leader for a place called uh, House of Mercy. And the men I work with are sex offenders. And um, from the lifestyle that I lived, we, we don't put up with sex offenders in any way. They, we deal with them the way we deal with them. But God has worked in my life and in my heart to have love for hmm. those people, just like I would ask any hmm. one of you to love hmm. somebody like me. Amen. Without yeah. any judgmental, without any... Well, that guy, you know, and, and to say that he's not going to get to heaven because of his sins on, on children, it's, it's a horrific thing. And, and we got to love each other and without judgment, period, no wow. matter who or where they're from. That's a word we need to hear. And that's a word we need to grow in along with you, brother. I just, yes. I just want you to hear that. Yes. Thank you very much for just being faithful yes. and sharing that. As you close this out, brother, I'd love to hear, just get even an update on what Dope Church is up to um, as our extended family. Sure, sure. I'm happy to. Um, our community, Dope Church, it's called that because we want to be a clear signpost to those who are in addiction and exploitation that we're, we exist for them, um, that God's called us to serve them right where they are, they are. And so that's what we do down in Fife near the casinos. You may or may not be aware that it's hectic down there. There's a lot of robbing, sexual assault, just sexual exploitation, addiction, um, all these things that we've been talking about, and we're trying to be God's family right there. And so one of our desires and our hopes is to multiply those communities up and down uh, the South Puget Sound. And actually, uh, we're, we're helping other people establish similar communities as far away as Florida. There's somebody got a hold of me from Belgium. It's crazy. I kind of know where Belgium is. I know where Florida is. Uh, our desire is to multiply those communities we're also uh, going to be working on over the coming months and year uh, developing gospel-centered resources for um, how to deal with some of these life-controlling problems such as uh, mental illness, addiction, uh, sexual exploitation, and uh, these sorts of things. So we want to make that uh, open to the wider Soma family and other churches as well uh, for equipping uh, communities and individuals to be doing the same thing. Uh, and thirdly, we're uh, currently looking at a property in Fife to serve as a home base for our mission there, uh, which would allow for us to do a lot more in the area of uh, discipleship and healing and counseling and those sorts of things uh, for the really hundreds of people that we've interacted with in Fife over the last year and a half. So please, whether you want to get involved personally or uh, if not, please pray for us. Like this is a monumental moment for our uh, church community. Uh, to be faithful to what Jesus is calling us to, and we want to have real uh, discernment and wisdom uh, as we do that and only do what the Spirit says to do. So thanks for letting us share. Uh, We love you guys.